Today we're going to be talking about the pillar of deliberate discipleship. And you know, Paul writes something that kind of inspired that video. He, he visited a church and said, you know what, on his return trip, he expected spiritual maturity. He expected those that were beginning their walk of faith to have progressed and matured. It's an amazing thing when you start thinking about the benefits and the blessings and the honor God has bestowed upon us as a group of people. Can you imagine just looking here, just to bring everybody up to speed, a couple of Sundays ago I preached about vision and we had six pillars of our faith that we wanted to reinforce individually. And one of them we started with last week was radical redemption. We believe that there's not anyone in Southwest Florida that is out of the reach of the power of God, that all could be redeemed. Can somebody say amen? amen. And, you know, we had planned last week to have communion and some of these things. I noticed them when I was coming up. Can you imagine having a testimony that says, hey, we couldn't have communion last week in either service because people just started coming forward to get saved? Now, that's a testimony. That's a privilege. Amen. And so today, when we start talking about discipleship, you know, the importance of it. Most of the time, if you're a guest here, I normally take a text, do my best to tell a story. Today, I'm going to back up a little bit, get a little bit out of my comfort zone, teach a little bit more, and do less inspiring uh, as far as with new revelation and bring you a spiritual truth that we should build as a foundation of our life. Are we ready for that? All right, let's pray, and then I'm going to read the text somewhere probably in the middle of the sermon. So let's just pray together. Father, today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows teaching to be effective. That, Father, I need more than ever before the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to make your word come alive that allows us to mature as a, a, as a body of believers, that allows us to move forward in our spiritual walk. Father, I ask you for a grace today that allows us to see salvations even when we're not preaching salvation. Father, we already have entrusted you with a prayer for the healing of those that are in hospital rooms. But I also pray for those that need a healing right here, right now. And so, Father, I ask you today just to move in and through your word today as we become aware of who we are in Christ. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I guess for us to jump off into a teaching, we should understand what the definition is of a disciple. You know what, if I took this microphone, and uh, I don't need them to turn it on because it will feed back, and I went as a reporter downtown and I was to survey the four or five blocks of the downtown community, and I was just to walk up to people and say, what do you think a disciple is, and put the microphone right uh, in front of them, they would probably more than likely say, the 12 guys that Jesus picked. And that is an accurate description, but the description didn't stop there. It wasn't just 12 guys or those 12 guys turning into 120 men and women. It wasn't just them going to the upper room. But now you and I now have the distinction of being considered and identified as disciples of Christ. I want to say that again because that was a good place for an amen. You and I have the privilege, the honor, the same one bestowed upon Peter, James, John, and Andrew to now be followers or disciples of Christ. Can somebody say amen? See, there's a difference 
with the church and, and city gate is just as guilty as any. We really have become proficient because the place that everybody in their spiritual walk starts is we start at a position, a starting point. The moment of salvation requires you to be a believer. But we have become so proficient at producing believers that we haven't been very effective in making disciples. And there's a reason for that. Because we, we enjoy the, the thrill of transformation and watching Jesus transform an unbeliever to a believer. But did you know that there's some frustration that I'm sure happens in the heart of God? Let me, let me give you an example. I love eating at Leah parties. Anybody ever had Leah parties? Say amen. A few. Okay, one of our members owns a restaurant called Leah Party, some of the best Italian uh, food in town. I've got the privilege of many of the recipes on the menu come from Gina's kitchen. And I've been, had the privilege of sitting at her table. And I love, I mean, I love, I, I can't even explain it. I've been there like a million times and every single time everybody's looking, is he going to order different? No, I'm not. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Their chicken marsala is unbelievable. And sometimes I ask myself, you know, how would I feel if I went to Leah parties and I ordered chicken marsala and all of a sudden the waiter's been very attentive to me. He's been, he's made sure my, my, because uh, uh, I'm, I've backslid a little bit. I've had a few Cokes. I went on a cruise, had a Coke or two, trying to repent of that. But let's say that I'm doing healthy that day and I'm having unsweetened tea. Not my favorite. And he's never let my glass get past half empty. He's just there. He's attentive. But when my food comes out, he says, hey, this is the best steak in our, our restaurant. I'd say you mistakenly brought that to the wrong table because I didn't order steak. I ordered chicken marsala. And I'm sure that steak is delicious, but that's not what I ordered. Now, if you were me in the story, wouldn't you feel frustrated if they brought you the wrong order? Even though it's the best steak in the house, you would still be frustrated because it wasn't what you asked for. I wonder how the Lord feels when we keep telling him week after week, I've brought you more believers. I've brought you more believers. I've, I've participated in your fellowship and your Holy Spirit drew the unbeliever and now they've been transformed into the believer. But scripture says he commanded us to make disciples. He ordered disciples and we keep bringing him believer, believer, believer. Listen to Matthew 28 when it's surrounding the Great Commission. He says, go you therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them. Look at your neighbor and say, teaching them. To observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. See, the big difference between a believer and a follower 
really is surrounded by actions or the lack thereof. A lot of times we as people of God, we begin our spiritual walk in this position of belief. And it is required for all of us to believe. Matter of fact, the book of Romans says for you to be saved, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. So we know that there's nothing wrong with believing. There's something wrong with that's as far as you go. Because believing, most of the time, when you become a believer, it is strictly surrounding your eternity. You're just going to believe that Jesus exists. He's probably God. And you're going to believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And at the end of your life, or at the end of time, He's going to rescue you from hell. That is so far below the intentions that Christ has provided for you. He never wanted to become spiritual fire insurance, that he was your get out of hell free card. He wanted to have a relationship. Most people think that the heaven and hell issue, that's where most believers begin and end their spiritual walk was, am I going to heaven and not hell? I'm here to tell you, I've preached it for years. Heaven is just icing on the cake. If that was the ultimate goal, we, one of two things has to happen. Either you got to die. Nobody, anybody want to sign up today? <laughs> or the rapture has to take place. Those two things have to take place if heaven's the ultimate goal. But, because if that is the case, yesterday was a wasted day because I didn't die and the rapture didn't take place. And I'm still waiting on this time in the sweet by and by where I get to know Jesus in an intimate way. But I have learned through the study of Scripture of going past belief into a follower and a disciple that John 10 and 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. That wasn't talking about heaven. That's talking about an intimate relationship with the Son of God, the one that purchased my sins by shedding His blood on a cross and getting up up from the dead right now. Can somebody say amen? amen? See, the prize of our salvation was Jesus, not heaven. I am never going to trade Jesus for a mansion or a dwelling place, whichever one you want to use. I could care less about streets of gold. I've been satisfied with pavement. <laughs> I don't even have a fence, more or less a gate of pearl. And I'm doing all right. See, the prize of my salvation was now I began a relationship with Christ. See, everybody starts as a, believe, as a believer, but the thing that transforms you into a follower of Christ takes one step past belief because, you know what, if, you're, if you are simply building your spiritual walk in belief, I've got some crushing news for you today. Listen to the book of James. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So if your spiritual walk ends and begins at belief, so are the demons. They believe. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you calling me a demon? No, touch your neighbor and tell them Pastor didn't call you a demon. <laughs> I'm just trying to say your spiritual experience hasn't gone anywhere past what they are. See, we're intended to start as a believer, but the Great Commission talked about raising up disciples or followers. It's a step beyond belief. And you know what the identifying mark is between a believer and a follower of Christ? 
Commitment. And here's the big one. Commitment, I'm going to make you say this to your neighbor too. Commitment requires action. I want you to say that again. Let it get down in their spirit. Preach to them like you're preaching, like you're saving their salvation right now. Like you need to do something. Commitment requires action. They go past believing in Jesus. They start seeking out the examples and the words of Jesus that they now have the Bible as their standard or their compass for their life. And it now requires them to search out. How can you be a follower of Christ if you never read this and find out what he said and did? Well, I'll just wait on the preacher to tell me. So you're going to live your spiritual life and be a follower of Christ, willing to lay down your life for the cause of the gospel on 25 minutes a week? Not me. See, I want to dig in this thing and know that Isaiah 53 and 5 says he heals my body and my spirit. See, I want to know that, that that passage of the Old Testament, because we can shout, I mean, contemporary believers will shout, we're a New Testament church. I'm thankful for First Peter that says the same thing. By his stripes, we are healed. Amen. I want to know that he ain't going anywhere and that he's not judging his love for me based upon my performance or my behavior. I want to see a scripture in there that tells me that he loved me the most he could ever love me with all of his heart while I was yet a sinner. Because we have to be moved into action according to the book of James. It says we have to be a doer of the word. I'm going to quote that thing here in a minute. But I want you to understand that there's a story in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's read the text today. Look at the screens and it says, On one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets and when they had done this they enclosed a large number of fish in another, uh, in another book it tells you there was 153 fish and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so they began to sink and when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus' knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man O Lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon and Jesus said to Simon do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men and when they had brought their boats to the land they left everything and followed him everything see let me detail out this uh, this story just for a moment and then we'll just move on this was not the first time Jesus had met Peter Matter of fact, his brother had helped bring him to the knowledge of Christ being the Messiah. His brother Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. He had met Jesus in his encounter and fellowship with John the Baptist. Maybe it was the time where John the Baptist looked over at Jesus walking down the banks of the Jordan River and said, there goes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. 
I'm not even worried. They thought John the Baptist was the junk. And he's telling everybody around, I can't, I'm not even worthy of tying that man's shoes. That's the Son of God right there. He goes back and tells his big brother, I found the Messiah. <laughs> he didn't say John found him and told me about him. Isn't it amazing how we tell our own story? He goes on, big brother, I found him. We don't have to look anymore. I found him. He's the Messiah. They had met on several occasions. And when he has this encounter with Peter, he's nothing more than a fisherman that believes. He's walking around. He knows him. He's not familiar with him. He's not, he doesn't have a deep relationship with him. And he sees him walking, crowds following him. They're pressing him. And he runs out of room on the shore, looks over, steps ironically, right on Peter Simon's boat. Out of two, he had a 50-50 chance. Well, he's God. He knows. He steps right on Peter's boat and says, okay, kick me out a little bit. Okay, I can do that. Now, you, you realize that the story's details are important. They were over there washing their nets. They'd fished all night and caught nothing. I like to fish. It's not a good time to encourage somebody to go back fishing when they've fished all night and caught nothing. But he wasn't even talking about fishing yet. He was just talking about using his boat. He's preaching. People are believing. They're having life transformation. He finally gets to his amen. He probably has Amy come up and play the piano. Maybe Dave sings another song. <laughs> that thing sounded good today, Dave. I just wanted to tell you. That thing was good stuff. Man's wanted to be David Lee Roth all of his life. So, sounds good as Blake Shelton, doesn't he? That thing today was that, that country vibe, and he was just giving it trouble. I got lost. I was like, <laughs> Sing to me, Blake. <laughs> and he probably had Dave and Amy come up, and, you know, they did their thing, and probably a bunch of people started believing but as much as we want to understand Jesus' mission that day was not more believers. It was to make a few disciples. And how he made the disciples was not during the sermon. He made the disciples by telling him, hey, uh, we're done with this now. Kick out a little further. Let's do some fishing. Well, Lord, you ever notice that we, get, we try to help God out when we think he's taking a big step of faith? Well, preacher... You do a good job preaching and everything, but this isn't the right time to fish. See, it's daylight now and fish can see the net. And we're nowhere near deep enough. So, um, why, and, and he tries to be nice about it. Um, by the way, we're professionals. We fished all night, caught nothing. Crowd's going to look at you funny if we throw these clean nets back into the water and dirty up the nets because the likelihood of our fish is remote. Now, I'm going to preach for four minutes here and then I'll get back into teaching mode. Most of the modern church wants Jesus to do it all for them. Okay, you got to know that the guy on the boat had commanded 153 fish before time began to be at this exact spot in the lake in the wrong place at the wrong time of day. And he was going to make them sit there until a stubborn fisherman decided to throw his net back in the water. He could have, being God, if he did all of that, could have just told them, swim to the shore and let them pick you up. 
Because how many of you will agree it wasn't because of their fishing skills they caught 153 fish. It was about the guy on the boat. Amen? So Peter, still just a believer, says, I want to honor you. You've done me a great privilege of you getting on my boat and you've preached to all these people and I've seen life transformation happen before my very eyes. So at your word, I'm going to dirty my net up. He throws it over, 153 fish. <laughs> he panics, calls the other boat. Come on, man, we, we've caught fish. <laughs> He's a preacher and a fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere, man. They come over there and 153 fish, two boats and dirty nets come to the shore. <clears throat> he jumps down in the bottom of a boat to get closest to Jesus' feet and knees and begins to worship and says, I am a sinful man. That's important because most people believe that the qualification of being a disciple is to be perfect. No, he was perfect for you. You have to be willing to commit to losing control enough. And if you lose control of your life enough that he'll become the captain of your life and your boat and he will bring fish into your life, can somebody say amen? amen. See, the thing, that, the thing that moves most people to a lack of commitment, they never want to go past belief because they never want to lose control. They're afraid. You know, wait a minute. If I, if I find out what you said and what you did, I'm now responsible. See, and I did the video on purpose. Because here's the catch today. Why do we want you to sign up for small groups? Why do we want you discipled correctly? It's because it's almost impossible to do it in this room. You put yourself in my position. You want pressure? Come hang with me for a week. You know, I had a memorial service yesterday. You know, it doesn't matter. You still got to preach on Sunday. Okay? I'm sad. I'm going to talk about that towards the end because there's a Jesus that is beyond anything that you can ever imagine. <laughs> and then you're going to take... Last week we couldn't have communion because I think 10 or 12 people got saved. Okay? So let's assume that half of them are back today. Okay, so we got six new believers today. You, you remember how crazy it looked to try to talk a baby into eating steak? They needed the bottle. And how crazy it looked for adults to be sucking on the bottle. And that's what I'm charged with every single week to allow the Holy Spirit to allow me to create a sermon that is for the person that's been saved for 15 minutes and the person that's been saved for 50 years and we got to do it all in one group. Wouldn't it be wonderful if I could get everybody that's been saved the last year into one room and say let's start with the basics of what Jesus said and did and let me disciple them because some of you already know what he said and did and we're teaching you how to go deeper. We're just trying to get them a little wider. That's why you need to be in smaller groups than in this room. Because I can't disciple you effectively in 25 minutes. That's why it's important for you to participate. Remember on Vision Sunday when everybody was ready to tear the walls down, build new churches and all of that? And I said, just participate with me when it comes to discipleship. It's not glamorous. 
It's not fast-paced. It's line upon line, precept upon precept. It's learning God's Word and applying God's Word. It's not enough to be stirred in your emotions. I'm preparing you for the moment. Man, that, I'm, I'm going to preach this thing. That's what's going to happen. See, I'm preparing you for the phone call that tells me, hey, I feel like God's a million miles away and I don't know what to do and doubt is creeping in on me and I'm here to tell you that's when you look in your Word and said, He will never leave me nor forsake me and I am going to hold past my feelings into my faith which I'm rooted on and grounded on because everybody wants to feel good. Sometimes life won't let you feel good. But the faith that he's still there, that's the thing that keeps you moving. Amen. Woo, that's good preaching right there. Now i got to discipline myself. Amy, come play me something so I'll slow down. Because some people can't be a doer of the Word because they don't know what the Word says. They're waiting for somebody else to tell them next week. Well, Pastor, the Bible's hard to read and I can't understand it. That's why He's sovereign. That's why He gave you the Holy Spirit. That's why He allows you to participate in classes to figure that stuff out. Because there's a bunch of stuff in the Bible that if you read it on the surface, you can't figure it out. You want me to stump you right now? Here we go. It, it'll, it'll cause half the congregation to reel back. Luke 14 says, Hate your mom and dad, your brother, your sister, your aunts and your uncles and everybody else. And if you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. Well, I can't hate my mom. She's here. <laughs> See, but when you understand that the Greek language... Anybody ever heard anybody speaking Greek? I'm not talking about a preacher giving you a Greek word. I mean, how many of you have heard somebody tell you a Greek sentence? Raise your hand. Ten. So what the translators were doing where they were trying to emphasize the passion in which Jesus was stating in the Greek language without watering it down because that word truly interpreted means to love less. And he's literally saying, you can't love your mom and dad more than me. I don't care that you love them, but you got to love me more. Because i got to be number one if you want to be my disciple. Ooh, now commitment's taking a whole new, 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 new shape. i got two grandkids, Mila and Riley. i got to love Jesus more than them. Not counting all of y'all's that I've had for all these years. Being a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. James 1, 22 through 25. It says you'll be blessed. Here's the thing about studying God's word. Here's why I'm going to teach for just a moment. Then we'll preach for two more minutes and experience communion together. In studying the words of Jesus through scripture, you'll find out that the Bible is more than a solution to your eternal heaven and hell issue. It tells us how to find peace and joy. Holy smoke. If I could bottle up peace, we'd be gazillionaires. Because the world is telling you if you get enough money, you'll finally get peace. I know a lot of rich people ain't got any peace. I know broke people full of joy. I mean, full of joy. They're like, man, I can't wait to get up tomorrow. <laughs> See what God's going to do. And what to look for. Now, anybody single, say amen. amen. I better get ready for this. 
Let me do that one more time. Anybody single, say amen. amen. You better not be just a believer because this word right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells you what to look for when you're looking for love. See, you're looking for the man on Friends. It tells you how old I am. Friends ain't even on TV anymore. You're looking for somebody, you know, looks like Brad Pitt. Just look for those famous people and find out how many times they've got broken marriages because they never find peace and contentment. But you look at average Joe and he's faithful because love is steadfast. Love is patient and kind. Woo! That's who you want to find. You don't need Brad Pitt. You need to know that when they find out you ain't superstar, they still stick around. When you squeeze the toothpaste in the middle and leave it on the sink, you need somebody to stay the course with you. When you lose your size two and it becomes bigger, <laughs> you need somebody that's going to stick the course. You need a love like 1 Corinthians 13. See, I found it in my life. And when I had long hair, she loved me. When I got no hair, she still loves me. I said, when you travel the dangerous waters of love, you need to know what the Word says. It describes the depth of relationship and intimacy God desires with you to have with His followers. He didn't want you to wait until you got to heaven to know who He is. He'd like to walk through life right now with you. I hear people all the time, I can't wait to hear him call my name and tell me my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and well done, thy good and faithful servant. I hear him whisper my name almost every day. I ain't got to wait till the great white throne judgment. I can be struggling in my living room, ready to give up and hear somebody go, David, I'm here. It tells us how to forgive and live through pain and disappointments and keep our right minds. It reveals God's plan and how He wants you to fit in and His desire for you to participate. It will make us believe the impossible and have hope when all hope is gone. Who wouldn't want to unlock the mysteries of the Bible and the truth that can set one free? The only thing missing between a believer and a disciple is commitment. Commitment to finding the words and the deeds of Jesus and say, that's how I want to live my life. That's how I'm going to do life. 